the tour. Tim Murphy could see at once that something was wrong. His grandfather was in the middle of an argument with a younger, red-faced man opposite him, and the other adult standing behind looked embarrassed and uncomfortable. Alexis felt the tension too, because she hung back, tossing her baseball in the air. He had to push her. Go on, Lex. Go yourself, Timmy. Don't be a worm, he said. Lex glared at him, but Ed Regis said cheerfully, I'll introduce you to everybody, and then we can take the tour. I have to go, Lex said. I'll just introduce you first, Ed Regis said. No, I have to go. But Ed Regis was already making introductions. First to Grandpa, who kissed them both, and then to the man he was arguing with. This man was muscular, and his name was Gennaro. The rest of the introductions were a blur to Tim. There was a blonde woman wearing shorts and a man with a beard who wore jeans and a Hawaiian shirt. He looked like an outdoor type. Then a fat college kid who had something to do with computers. And finally a man in black who didn't shake hands but just nodded his head. Tim was trying to organise his impressions and was looking at the blonde woman's legs when he suddenly realised that he knew who the bearded man was. Your mouth is open, Lex said. Tim said, I know him. Oh, sure, you just met him. No, Tim said. I, I have his book, the bearded man said. And what book is that, Tim? Last Word of the Dinosaurs, Tim said. Alexis sniggered. Teddy says Tim has dinosaurs on the brain, she said. Tim hardly heard her. He was thinking of what he knew about Alan Grant. Alan Grant was one of the principal advocates of the theory that dinosaurs were warm-blooded. He had done lots of digging at the place called Egg Hill in Montana, which was famous because so many dinosaurs' eggs had been found there. Professor Grant had found most of the dinosaur eggs that had ever been discovered. He was also a good illustrator, and he drew the pictures in his own books. Dinosaurs on the brain, the bearded man said. Well, as a matter of fact, I have the same problem. Daddy says dinosaurs are really stupid, Lex said. He says Tim should get out in the air and play more sports. Tim felt embarrassed. I thought you had to go, he said. In a minute, Lex said. I thought you were in a r such a rush. I'm the one who would know, don't you think, Timothy? She said, putting her hands on her hips, copying her mother's most irritating stance. Tell you what, Ed Regis said, why don't we all just head over to the visitor centre and we can begin our tour? Everybody started walking. Tim heard Gennaro whisper to his grandfather, I could kill you for this. And then Tim looked up and saw that Dr. Grant had fallen into step beside him. How old are you, Tim? Eleven. And how long have you been interested in dinosaurs, Grant asked. Tim swallowed. A while now, he said. He felt nervous talking to Dr. Grant. We go to museums sometimes when I can talk my family into it. My, my father... Your father is not especially interested? Tim nodded and told Grant about his family's last trip to the Museum of Natural History. His father had looked at a skeleton and said, That's a big one, Tim had said. No, Dad, that's a medium-sized one, a, a Camptosaurus. Oh, I don't know. Looks pretty big to me. It's not even fully grown, Dad. His father squinted at the skeleton. What is it, Jurassic? Jeez, no, Cretaceous. Cretaceous? What's the difference between Cretaceous and Jurassic? Only about a hundred million years, Tim said. Cretaceous is older? 
No, Dad, Jurassic is older. Well, his father said, stepping back, it looks pretty damn big to me. And he turned to Tim for agreement. Tim knew that he'd better agree with his father, so he just muttered something. And they went to look at another exhibit. Tim stood in front of one skeleton. Tyrannosaurus Rex, the mightiest predator the Earth had ever known for a long time. Finally, his father said, What are you looking at? I'm counting the vertebrae, Tim said. The vertebrae? In the backbone. I know what vertebrae are, his father said, annoyed. He stood there a while longer, and then he said, Why are you counting them? I think they're wrong. Tyrannosaurus should only have 37 vertebrae in a tail. This has more. You mean to tell me, his father said, that a museum of natural history has a skeleton that's wrong? I can't believe that. It's wrong, Tim said. His father stomped off towards a guard in the corner. What did you do now? his mother said to Tim. I didn't do anything, Tim said. I just said that the dinosaur is wrong, that's all. And then his father came back with a funny look on his face, because of course the guard told him that the tyrannosaur had too many vertebrae in the tail. How did you know that? his father asked. I read it, Tim said. That's pretty amazing, son, he said, and put his hands on his shoulder, giving it a squeeze. You know how many vertebrae belong in that tail. I've never seen anything like it. You really do have dinosaurs on the brain. And then his father said he wanted to catch the last half of the Mets game on TV, and Lex said she did too. So they left the museum, and Tim didn't see any of the other dinosaurs, which is why they had come there in the first place. But that was how things happened in his family. How things used to happen in his family, Tim corrected himself. Now that his father was getting a divorce from his mother, things would probably be different. His father had already moved out, and even though it was weird at first, Tim liked it. He thought his mother had a boyfriend, but he couldn't be sure, and of course, he would never mention it to Lex. Lex was heartbroken to be separated from her father, and in the last few weeks, she had become so obnoxious. Was it 5027? Grant said. Uh, I'm sorry, Tim said. Uh, the Tyrannosaur at the museum, was it 5027? Yes, Tim said. How'd you know? Grant smiled. They've been talking about fixing that for years, but now it may never happen. Why's that? Because of what is taking place here, Grant said. On your grandfather's island. Tim shook his head. He didn't understand what Grant was talking about. My mom said it was just a resort, you know, with swimming and tennis. Not exactly, Grant said. I'll explain as we walk along. Now I'm the damn babysitter, Ed Regis thought unhappily, tapping his foot as he waited in the visitor centre. That was what the old man had told him. You watch the kids like a hawk. They're your responsibility for the weekend. Ed Regis didn't like it at all. He felt degraded. He wasn't a damn babysitter. And for that matter, he wasn't a damn tour guide either. Even for VIPs. He was the head of a public relations for Jurassic Park, and he had much to prepare between now and the opening. A year away. Just to coordinate with the PR firms in San Francisco and London, and the agencies in New York and Tokyo was a full-time job. Especially since the agencies couldn't yet be told what the resort's real attraction was. The firms were all designing teaser campaigns, nothing specific, and they were unhappy. Creative people needed nurturing. They needed encouragement to do their best work. 
He couldn't waste his time taking scientists on tours. But that was the trouble with a career in public relations. Nobody saw you as a professional. Regis had been down here on the island on and off for the past seven months, and they were still pushing odd jobs on him. Like that episode back in January, Harding should have handled that. Harding or Owens, the general contractor. Instead, it had fallen to Ed Regis. What did he know about taking care of a sick workman? And now he was a damn tour guide and babysitter. He turned back and counted the heads. Still one short. Then in the back, he saw Dr. Sattler emerge from the bathroom. All right, folks, let's begin our tour of the second floor. Tim went with the others, following Mr. Regis up the black suspended staircase to the second floor of the building. They passed a sign that read, Closed area, authorised personnel only beyond this point. Tim felt a thrill when he saw the sign. They walked down the second floor hallway. One wall was glass, looking out onto the balcony with palm trees in the light mist. On the other wall were stenciled doors like offices. Park Warden. Guest services. General manager. Halfway down the corridor they came to a glass partition marked with another sign. Underneath were more signs. Caution. Teratogenic substances. Pregnant women avoid exposure to this area. Danger. Radioactive isotopes in use. Carcinogenic potential. Tim grew more excited all the time. Teratogenic substances. Things that made monsters. It gave him a thrill, and he was disappointed to hear Ed Regis say, Never mind the signs, they're just up for some legal reasons. I can assure you everything is perfectly safe. He led them through the door. There was a guard on the other side. Ed Regis turned to the group. You may have noticed that we have a minimum of personnel on the island. We can run this resort with a total of 20 people. Of course, we will have more when we have guests here, but at the moment there's only 20. And here's the control room. The entire park is controlled from here. They paused before the windows and peered into the darkened room that looked like a small vision of mission control. There was a vertical glass see-through map of the park and facing it, a bank of computer consoles. Some of the screens displayed data, but most of them showed video images from around the park. There were just two people inside, standing and talking. The man on the left is our chief engineer, John Arnold. Regis pointed to the thin man in a button-down short-sleeved shirt and tie, smoking a cigarette. And next to him is Robert Muldoon, the famous white hunter from Nairobi. Muldoon was a burly man in khaki, his sunglasses dangling from his shirt pocket. He glanced out at the group, gave a brief nod, and then turned back to the computer screens. I'm sure you want to see this room, Ed Regis said, but first let's uh, see how we obtain dinosaur DNA. The sign on the door said extractions, and like all the doors in the laboratory building, it opened with a security card. Ed Regis slipped the card in the slot, the light blinked, and the door opened. Inside, Tim saw a small room bathed in green light. Four technicians in lab coats were peering into double-barreled stereo microscopes or looking at images on high-resolution video screens. The room was filled with yellow stones. The stones were in glass shelves, in cobbled boxes, in large pull-out trays. Each stone was tagged and numbered in black ink. Regis introduced Henry Wu, a slender man in his thirties. Dr. Wu is our chief geneticist. 
I'll uh, let him explain what we do here. Henry Wu smiled. At least I'll try, he said. Genetics is a bit complicated, but you're probably wondering where our dinosaur's DNA comes from. It crossed my mind, Grant said. As a matter of fact, Wu said, there are two possible sources. Using the Loy antibody extraction technique, we can sometimes get DNA directly from the dinosaur bones. What kind of yield? Grant asked. Well, most of the soluble protein is leached out of during fossilization, but 20% of the proteins are still recoverable by grinding up the bones and using Loy's procedure. Dr. Loy himself has used it to obtain proteins from extinct Australian marsupials as well as blood cells from ancient human remains. His technique is so refined it can work with a mere 50 manograms of material. That's 50 billionths of a gram. And you've uh, adapted his technique here? Grant asked. Only as a backup, Wu said. As you can imagine, a 20% yield is, is insufficient for our work. We need uh, the entire dinosaur DNA strand in order to clone. And, and we get it here. He held up one of the yellow stones. From Amber, the fossilized resin of prehistoric tree sap. Grant looked to Ellie, and then at Malcolm. That's uh, really quite clever, Malcolm said, nodding. I still don't understand, Grant admitted. Tree sap, Wu explained, often flows over insects and traps them. The insects are then perfectly preserved within the fossil. One finds all kinds of insects in amber, including biting insects that, uh, you know, suck the blood from larger animals. Suck the blood, Grant repeated. His mouth fell open. You mean suck the blood of dinosaurs? Yes, hopefully. And then the insects are preserved in amber? Grant shook his head. I'll be damned. That just might work. I assure you it does work, Wu said. He moved to one of the microscopes where the technician positioned a piece of amber containing a fly under the microscope. On the video monitor, they watched as he inserted a long needle through the amber into the thorax of the prehistoric fly. If this insect has... Any foreign blood cells, we, we may be able to extract them and obtain paleo-DNA, the DNA of an extinct creature. We won't know for sure, of course, until we extract whatever it is in there, replicate it, and test it. That is what we have been doing for the last five years now. It's been a long, slow process, but it's, it has paid off. Actually, the dinosaur DNA is somewhat easier to extract by this process than mammalian DNA. The reason is that mammalian red blood cells have, uh, have no nuclei and thus no DNA in the red cells. To, to clone a mammal, you must find, find a white cell, which is much rarer than a red. But dinosaurs had nucleated red cells, as do modern birds. It's one of the many indications that we have that dinosaurs aren't really reptiles at all. They are big, leathery birds. Tim saw that Dr. Grant still looked skeptical, and Dennis Nedry, the messy fat man, appeared completely uninterested, as if he knew it already. Nedry kept looking impatiently towards the next room. I see that Mr. Nedry has spotted the next phase of our work, we said. How we identify the DNA we have extracted. For that, we use a powerful computers. They went through sliding doors into the chilled room. There was a loud humming sound. Two six-foot-tall round towers stood in the centre of the room, and along the walls were rows of waist-high stainless steel boxes. This is our high-tech laundromat, Dr. Wu said. The boxes along the walls are, are, are all uh, Hamachi hood, automated gene sequences. 
They are being run at very high speed by the by the Cray XMP supercomputers, which are in the towers in the in the center of the room. In essence, you are standing in the middle of a incredibly powerful genetics factory. There were several monitors all running so fast it was hard to see that they were showing. Wu pushed the button, slowed one image. Here you see the actual structure of a small fragment of dinosaur DNA, Wu said. Notice the sequence is made up of, of four basic compounds, uh, adenine, uh, thymine, guanine, and uh, cytosine. This amount of DNA probably contains instructions to make a single protein, say a hormone or, or, or enzyme. The four DNA molecule contains three billion of this basis. If we looked at a, a screen like this for, for once a second for eight hours a day, it would take more than two years to look at the entire DNA strand. It's that big. He pointed to the image. This is a typical example because you see the DNA has an error. Down here in the line 1201. Much of the DNA that we extract is fragmented or incomplete, so the first thing we do is to do a repair on it or rather uh, the computer has to. It'll cut the DNA and using what we call restriction enzymes. The computer will select a variety of enzymes that might just do the job. Here is the same section of DNA with the points of the restriction enzymes located. As you can see on line 1201, two enzymes will cut on either side of the damaged point. Ordinarily, we, uh, we let the computers decide which to use, but we uh, also need to know what base pairs we should insert to repair the injury. For that we have to align various cut fragments like so. Now we are finding a fragment of DNA that overlaps an injury area and will, and will tell us what is missing. And you can see we can find it and go ahead and make another repair. The dark bars are, you, you see is the arc restriction fragments, small sections of dinosaur DNA broken by enzymes and then analyzed. The computer is now recobing them by searching for overlapping sections of the code. It's a, it's a little bit like uh, putting the puzzle together. The computer can do it very rapidly. And here is the revised DNA strand repaired by the computer. The operation you've witnessed would, would have taken months in a conventional lab, but we can do it here in seconds. Then you are working with the entire DNA strand, Grant asked. Oh, oh no, 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 Wu said. That, that's impossible. We've came a long way from the 60s when it took a whole laboratory four years to decode a, a screen like this. Now the computers can do it in a couple of hours, but even so, the DNA molecule is too big. We look only in the section of the strand that differ from animal to animal, or from uh, contemporary DNA. Only a few of the nucleotides differ from one species to the next. That's, that's what we analyzed, and it's still a big job. Dennis Nedry yawned. He had long ago concluded that InGen must be doing something like this. A couple of years earlier, when InGen had hired Nedry to design the park control systems, one of the initial design perimeters called for data records with three times 109 fields. Nedry just assumed that was a mistake and had called Palo Alto to verify. But they had told him that the spec was correct. Three billion fields. Nedry had worked on a lot of large systems, He'd made a name for himself setting up worldwide telephone communications for multinational corporations. Often those systems had millions of records. He was used to that, but InGen wanted something so much larger. Puzzled, Nedry had gone to see Barney Fellows over at Symbolics near the MIT campus in Cambridge. What kind of database has three billion records, Barney? 
<laughs> a mistake, Barney said, laughing. They put in an extra zero or two. It's a mistake? I checked. It's, it's what they want. But that's crazy, Barney said. It's not workable, even if you had the fastest processes. Blindly fast algorithms to search would still take days, maybe weeks. Yeah, Nedry said, I know. Fortunately, I, I, I'm not being asked to do algorithms. I'm just being asked to reserve storage and memory for overall systems. But still, what could the database be for? Barney frowned. You uh, operated under an MD? Yes, Nedry said. Most of the jobs the court required uh, non-disclosed agreements. Can you can you tell me anything? It's a it's a bioengineering firm. Bioengineering, Barney said. Oh, there's an obvious. Which is which is a DNA molecule? Oh come on, Nedry said. Nobody could be analyzing a DNA molecule. He knew biologists were talking about the human genome projects to analyze a complete human DNA strand, but that would take ten years of coordinated effort involving laboratories around the world. It was an enormous undertaking, as big as the Manhattan Project, which made the atomic bomb. This is just a private company. Nedry said. What, with three billion records? Bonnie said. I don't really know what else it could be. Maybe they're just being optimistic designing their system. Very optimistic, Nedry said. Or maybe they're just analyzing DNA fragments, but they, they've got RAM in, in intense algorithms. That made more sense. Certain database search techniques ate up a lot of memory. You know who did the algorithms? No, Nedry said. This com company is very secretive. Well, my guess is they're doing something with DNA, Barney said. Well, what's the system? Modi XMP. Modi XMP? You mean more than one Cray? Wow! Barney was now frowning, thinking that one over. Can you tell me anything else? Sorry, he said. I can't. And he had gone back and designed the control systems. It had taken him and his programming team more than a year and it was especially difficult because the company wouldn't ever tell him what the systems were for. The instructions were simply design a module for record keeping or design a module for visual display. They gave him design perimeters but no details about use. He had been working in the dark and now that the system was up and running he wasn't surprised to learn there were bugs. What did he expect? And they'd ordered him down here in a panic all hot and bothered about his bugs. It was annoying, Nedry thought. Nedry turned back to the group as Grant asked, And once the computer has analysed the DNA, how do you know what animal it encodes? We have two procedures, we said. The first is a uh, pylogenic mapping. DNA evolves over time like everything else in an organism hands or feet or any other physical attribute. So we can see the evolutionary sequence is time consuming but it can be done. And the other way? Wu shrugged. Just grow it and find out what it is, he said. That's what we usually do. I'll show you how that's accomplished. Tim felt a growing impatience as the tour continued. He liked technical things but even so he was losing interest. They came to the next door which was marked Fertilization. Dr. Wu unlocked the door with his security card and they went inside. Tim saw still another room with technicians working in microscopes. In the back was a section entirely lit by blue ultraviolet light. 
Dr. Wu explained that the DNA work required the interruption of cellular mitosis at precise instants, and therefore they kept some of the most virulent poisons in the world. Heliotoxins, colchicinols and beta alkaloids, he said, pointing to a series of syringes set out under a UV light. Kill any living animal within a second or two. Tim would have liked to know more about the poisons, but Dr. Wu droned on about using unfertilised crocodile over and replacing the DNA. And then Professor Grant asked some complicated questions. To one side of the room were big tanks marked Liquid N2, and there were big walk-in freezers with shelves and frozen embryos, each stored in a tiny silver foil wrapper. Lex was bored. Nedry was yawning, and even Dr. Sattler was losing interest. Tim was tired of looking at these complicated laboratories. He wanted to see the dinosaurs. The next room was labelled Hatchery. It's a little warm and damp in here, Wu said. We keep it at 99 degrees Fahrenheit and a relative humidity of 100%. We also run a higher O2 concentration. It's up to 33%. Jurassic atmosphere, Grant said. Yes, at least we presume so. If any of you feel faint, just, just tell me. Dr. Wu inserted a secret card into the slot, and the outer door hissed open. Just a reminder to tell you not to touch anything in this room. Some of the eggs are permeable to skin oils, and watch your head, the sensors are always moving. He opened the inner door to the nursery, and they went inside. Tim faced a vast open room, bathed in deep, infrared light. The eggs lay on long tables their pale outlines obscured by the hissing low mist that covered the tables. The eggs were all moving gently and rocking. Reptile eggs contain large amounts of yolk, but no water at all. The embryos must extract water from the surrounding environment, hence the mist. Dr. Wu explained that each table contained 150 eggs and represented a new batch of DNA extractions. The batches were identified by numbers at each table. Steg stroke four five eight slash two or trike slash three nine zero slash four. Waist deep in the mist, the workers in the nursery moved from one egg to the next, plunging their hands into the mist, turning the eggs every hour, and checking the temperatures with the thermal sensors. The room was monitored by overhead TV cameras and motion sensors. An overhead thermal sensor moved from one egg to the next, touching each with a flexible wand beeping and then going on. In this hatchery we have produced more than a dozen crops of extractions, giving us a total of 238 live animals. Our survival rate is somewhere around 0.4%, and we naturally want to improve that. But by uh, computer analysis we're working with something like 500 variables, 120 environmental, another 200 intra-egg, and, and the rest with the genetic material itself. Our eggs are plastic. The embryos are uh, mechanically inserted and then hatched here. And how long to grow? Dinosaurs mature rapidly, attaining full size in two to four years. We, uh, so we now have a, have, a, have a number of adult specimens in the park. Uh, what do the numbers mean? Oh, those codes, we said. Identify you the various batches of extractions of DNA. The first four letters identify the animals being grown. Over there, the, that trike means Triceratops, and the, the steg means uh, Stegosaurus, and, and so on. And, and this table here, Grant said. The code said, 
XXXX-0001 stroke 1. Beneath was scrawled presumed Kolu. That's a new batch of DNA, Wu said. We we don't know exactly what will grow out. The first time an extraction is done, we we don't know for sure what the animal is. You can you can see it's marked presumed colo, so it's likely to be a colorosaurus. A small herbivore, if I remember. It's hard for me to keep track of the names. There are something like uh, 300 genia of uh, dinosaurs known so far. 347, Tim said. Grant smiled and then said, Is anything hatching now? Um, not at the moment. The incubation period varies from each animal, but in general it runs about two months. We try to stagger hatchings to, to make less work for the nursery staff, but you, you, you can imagine how it is when, when we have 150 animals born within a few days, though of, of course most don't survive. Actually, these uh, exes are due any day now. Any other questions? Uh, no? Then we'll go to the nursery where the newborns are. It was a circular room, all white. There were some incubators of the kind used in hospital nurseries, but they were empty at the moment. Rags and toys were scattered across the floor. A young woman in a white coat was seated on the floor, her back to them. What have you got here today, Cathy? Dr. Wu asked her. Not much, she said. Just a baby raptor. Let's have a look. The woman got to her feet and stepped aside. Tim heard Nedry say, It looks like a lizard. The animal on the floor was about a foot and a half long, the size of a small monkey. It was dark yellow with brown stripes like a tiger. It had a lizard's head and a long snout, but it stood upright on strong hind legs, balanced by a thick straight tail. Its smaller front legs waved in the air. It cocked its head to one side and peered at the visitors, staring down at it. Velociraptor, Alan Grant said in a low voice. Velociraptor mongaliensis, Wu said, nodding. A predator. This one's only six weeks old. I just excavated a raptor, Grant said, as he bent down for a closer look. Immediately, the little lizard sprang up, leaping over Grant's head into Tim's arms. Hey! They can jump, Wu said. The babies can jump. So can the adults, as a matter of fact. Tim caught the velociraptor and held it to him. The little animal didn't weigh very much, a pound or two. The skin was warm and completely dry. The little head was inches from Tim's face. Its dark, beady eyes stared at him. A small, forked tongue flicked in and out. Will it hurt me? No, she's friendly. Are you sure about that? asked Gennaro with a look of concern. Oh, quite sure, we said. At least until she grows a little older. But in any case, the babies don't have any teeth. Even egg teeth. Egg teeth? Nedry said. Most dinosaurs are born with egg teeth, little horns on the tip of their nose, like rhino horns, to uh, help them break out the eggs. But raptors aren't. They poke a little, They just poke uh, a hole in the egg with their pointed snouts, and then the nursery staff have to help them out. You have to help them out, Grant said, shaking his head. What happens in the wild? In the wild? Yeah, when they're bred in the wild, Grant said. Uh, when they make a nest. Oh, they can't do that, Wu said. None of our animals are capable of breeding. That's why we have the nursery. It's only the way we can replace stock in Jurassic Park. Why can't the animals breed? 
Well, as you can imagine, it's important that they not be able to breed, we've said. And whenever we faced a, a critical matter such as this, we designed redundant systems. That is, we always arranged at least two control procedures. In this case, there are two independent reasons why the animals can't breed. Well, first of all, they're sterile because we irradiate them with x-rays. And the second reason? All the animals in Jurassic Park are female, we've said with a pleased smile. Malcolm said... I I should like some uh, clarification about this because it seems to me that uh, irradiation is fraught with uh, uncertainty. The radiation dose may be wrong or, or aimed at the, at the uh, wrong uh, anatomical area of the animal. Oh, true, we've said, but we're quite confident we destroyed gonadal tissue. And uh, as for all the, all the being female, Malcolm said, is that checked? Does uh, anybody go around the, around up this the park and uh, pull up all the dinosaur skirts? I mean, how does one determine the sex of a dinosaur anyway? Sex organs will vary with species. It's 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 easy to tell on some, subtle on others, but to answer your question, the the reason we we know all the animals are female is that we literally make them make them that way. We control the chromosomes and and we control an intra egg developmental environment. From a bioengineering standpoint, females are easier to breed. You probably know that all vertebrate embryos are inherently female. We all start life as females. It takes some kind of added effect, such as a hormone at the right uh, moment during development to transform the growing embryo into a male. But left to its own devices, the embryo will naturally become female. So our animals are all female. We tend to refer to some of them as, as males, such as the Tyrannosaurus rex. We all we all call it him, but in fact they're all, they're all female, and believe me, they, they can't breed. The little velociraptor sniffed at Tim, and then rubbed her head against Tim's neck. Tim giggled. She wants you to feed her, we said. What does she eat? Mice. But she's just eaten, so we won't feed her again for a while. The little raptor leaned back, staring at Tim, and wiggled her forearms again in the air. Tim saw the small claws on the three fingers of each hand. Then the raptor burrowed her head against his neck again. Grant came over and peered critically at the creature. He touched a tiny three-clawed hand. He said to him, Do you mind? And Tim released the raptor into his hands. Grant flipped the animal onto its back, inspecting it. While the lizard was wriggling and squirming, then he lifted the animal higher to look at the profile, and it screamed shrilly, she doesn't like that, Regis said. Doesn't like to be held from away from the body contact. The raptor was still screaming, but Grant paid no attention. Now he was squeezing the tail, filling the bones. Regis said, Dr. Grant, if you please, I am not hurting her. Dr. Grant, these creatures are not of our world. They came from a time when there were no human beings around to prod and poke them. I'm not prodding, and Dr. Grant put her down, Ed Regis said. But now! Regis was starting to get annoyed. Grant handed the animal back to Tim. It stopped squealing. Tim could feel its little heartbeat beating rapidly against his chest. I'm sorry, Dr. Grant, Regis said, but these animals are delicate in their infancy. We have lost several from the postnatal stress syndrome, which we believe is adrenocotically mediated. Sometimes they die within five minutes. Tim petted the little raptor. It's okay, kid, he said. Everything's fine now. The heart was still beating rapidly. 
We feel it is important that the animals here are treated in the most humane manner, Regis said. I promise you that you have every opportunity to examine them later. But Grant couldn't stay away. He again moved towards the animal in Tim's arms, peering at it. The little velociraptor opened her jaws and hissed at Grant. In a posture of sudden intense fury. Fascinating, Grant said. Can I stay and play with her? Tim said. Not right now, Edregis said, glancing at his watch. It's uh, three o'clock and it's a good time for a tour of the park itself so you can see all the dinosaurs in the habitats we've designed for them. Tim released a velociraptor which scampered across the room, grabbed a cloth rag, put it in its mouth and tugged at the end with her tiny claws. <laughs>